Prince of Peace from Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. There is a well-known story of a certain Christmas Eve in the middle of World War I. Most, many of you here will know of that story. It was a historical event. It was when British and American soldiers sitting in trenches heard the, the German soldiers across from them singing Silent Night. The Allied soldiers joined in and sang with them across the trenches. Beginning of what was to become an unofficial Christmas Day truce between the two sides. When both sides would just lay down their arms and sing and remember and recall the wonderful event of Christmas. Now on that Christmas Day there truly was a remarkable moment of peace. The heavy fog the noise of bombs exploding and, and, and death and all of that, everything was, was lifted, revealing for a brief time the peace, the joy, the love, even between fierce enemies. Sadly, that Christmas truce didn't last very long, as we know. Soon the two sides were back to fighting, And isn't this what we see in our world today? Just when we start to get hopeful about the latest peace talks and all of that, something develops and something triggers something else and war starts again and the rockets get fired and off it goes. Aren't peace and reconciliation what the Christmas spirit is all about? Yet we look around and not even in the natural world Even the world, even nature itself is at war with tsunamis and earthquakes and all kinds of natural disasters that rock our lives. Romans chapter 8 talks about that, of the pain of creation itself, awaiting the redemption of God's children. Is there something we need to do to have more peace on this earth? Good question. We try, we're definitely trying. We don't have economic peace, even though that's what we want. We don't have social peace, we don't have domestic peace or world peace. The average person doesn't seem to even have peace in in his or her own life. Haven't we heard the teenager say, I hate myself? Well, how on earth are you supposed to expect peace when you even don't like yourself? And as we come to Christmas, didn't Jesus promise to bring us peace? The passage we read is largely about peace. And we read this from the prophet Isaiah, again, verses 67. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Some versions have Wonderful, comma, Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the, gra- of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Where is this peace? 
Almost everyone in the world wants peace, but although peace is the thing that everybody wants, everybody wants, it's the most unnatural and difficult thing for the human race to achieve. Even though we talk so easily about it, it continues to be one of the most elusive things in our human experience. It's very sad. So let's talk a little bit about the peace problem. Historians have come up with startling figures. In in over 5,000 years of human history, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,000 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed would pay for a golden belt around the world 97 miles wide and 33 or 10 metres thick. Since 650 BC, there have also been 1,600 arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ended in economic collapse of the countries involved. Because, you see, war and economics are so closely linked together that countries' budgets seem to be directed towards buying submarines and nuclear development and and everything else. And many, therefore, see that wars are simply the reset button to enable an economy, a democracy, to kick-start again. Now, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's not confuse peacemakers with peacekeepers. We tend to confuse them sometimes. Nowadays we talk a lot more about sending peacekeepers rather than peacemakers into conflict areas. They are not the same thing. The difference between the two is that you can... You can walk, as a parent, I can walk into a room when I was, when my kids were little. I can walk into a room, there's, there's fighting between the two kids. I can walk into the room and there will be peace. It will be an enforced peace in the form of a leather strap or something like that. You remember the old days. Nowadays that's strictly forbidden, of course. But anyway, in the old days. That was my own personal experience. Whenever we were caught fighting with my sister, mum and dad would come in and there was, there was peace. Incidentally, the same principle applies in 1873. The, 1873 was the, the peak of the cowboy days in the US of A. This is where a lot of the cowboy movies and all those wonderful movies with Clint Eastwood and all of that, you know, they, they have that setting. And uh, in order to enforce peace, Samuel Colt introduced a pistol that was named the Peacekeeper. It was, the, it was, it was named that, it was, it, they gave it that name because it's, it was a simple design which would allow absolutely anybody to use it, thereby equaling, the, the, there was a level playing field out there. At that time, there was, an, there, was, there was a saying, like an ad, 
there was a phrase that was used there. God made every man different, but Sam Colt made them equal. About 100 years later, in November of 1982, President Ronald Reagan, one of the better presidents of the US, named the new um, missile system the peacekeeper because of its devastating effect. The great power and firepower and range. It would be a great deterrent to conflict. Now this method of, of peacekeeping is very popular through history. After the Romans got to conquering most of the world, the, the most powerful empire that the world has ever known, they achieved relative peace and called it Pax Romana or Roman peace. All it means is that everyone was either conquered or intimidated that for a while there was no one left to fight. No one dared to fight. You know what would happen if they started fighting. But everyone was simply waiting, obviously, holding back, holding back for an opportunity to hit back. That is why there's a lot of truth to the saying, and I quote, peace is merely that glorious, that brief glorious moment in history when everybody stops to reload. End of quote. Which leads us to the heart of the problem. The human heart is the heart of the problem. James, the the brother of Jesus, spoke about this perennial problem. He asked the question, where do wars come from? And in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 from the New King James Version, where do wars and fights come from among you? He asked. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? So he brings it back to us. There's conflict inside of us. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Then he talks about you do not ask the Heavenly Father. We want to get stuff. We want to get things. And by our own means, we want to... It's See the demonstration of the streets for social justice here and all of that and it just goes on. Rather than the problem being out there, the wars actually start inside, here. Desires, lust, murder, because we cannot get what we want. The country has just gone through the whole issue of marriage equality. And now that they've achieved that, then what? Is that the end of it? No, of course not. Of course not. That is a problem. The heart is the problem. Now what it's not, what peace is not. When Jesus spoke about peace makers, he was not necessarily talking about those who have a this, this peaceful disposition or those who simply have a a deep desire for peace. He's not talking about those with a, with a cool or easygoing attitude to life, with a motto, of, with, with this motive of, of, of live and let live, you know, and especially after smoking a couple of joints in the, in the Woodstock days, you know, peace, bro. 
and then they started wearing the, the shirts and all of this. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's also not referring to those who want peace at any price by being tolerant and compromising in just about everything. He's not talking about those who avoid trouble by simply not speaking up for anything or anyone for fear of rocking the boat. You see, an appearance of peace may only be an absence of conflict and war. That's not what Jesus said. What it is. The topic of peace is big in the scriptures. The word peace is found over 400 times. So it is a fairly big word in the Bible. In the Greek it is erene, from which we get our name Irene. We do welcome you this morning, Irene. In the Hebrew it's, of course, the word shalom. It's a beautiful word. It's more than simply the absence of war and strife. It's not just a negative thing that there's no fighting or or bickering, but it's a positive thing. When you greet each other and say shalom, it means a presence of something special, of wholeness, of of a feeling and an attitude of absolute well-being. It's a sense of harmony intended to, to be experienced in all of your relationships. This is what you greet each other with that greeting. This is why it is used. Because we, when we greet people, we wish them the best. It's interesting that in English we greet each other by saying, how are you doing? In the, in the Hebrew sense, it's, you're actually declaring something. You're declaring peace before you ask how they're doing. That's the way to start. Bless you, that type of thing. Where to start? Quite obvious that the source of peace is God himself. Paul calls our Lord the God of peace when he wrote to the Romans. He says, the God of peace be with you all in Romans 15.33. So this is where peace begins. That's why peace is not a matter of faith in ourselves. We don't have faith in ourselves of resolving conflict through our own means. We don't have faith, put our faith in others. We put our faith in God since the problem of peace started way back in the Garden of Eden where we broke that peace with God and that set off a whole chain of events. We can connect to the source of peace through Christ. So the Father sent the ultimate peacemaker. No, he wasn't, he wasn't a peacekeeper. He wasn't a missile, he was a peacemaker, the Prince of Peace into the world. And before resolving any other issue, we need to be, of course, at peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's the prerequisite, justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must trust and obey him in order to receive 
this peace. I like the bumper sticker that said, No God, N-O God, no peace, N-O peace. Full stop. K-N-O-W, no God, no peace. How do we receive his peace? Jesus really meant it when he said, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. For I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All except one of his disciples would be martyred in different means, in different ways. And yet he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. I give you my peace. So the peace that Jesus is referring to, it's, it's, it's very different to our normal human understanding, isn't it? Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but it is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. Remember in, in Genesis we looked at Joseph and the, in the, the continued declaration that God was with him. God was with him. In his family, In jail, God was with him when he was Prime Minister of Egypt, each step of the way. Be protected by his peace. I really like what Paul said, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. All understanding means all normal ways, logical understanding of what peace is. This is the peace of God. And, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The ultimate enemy is Satan. The ultimate enemy is sin. So wherever there, is, there are wars and there is conflict and there is strife, you can know that Satan is having his way. This is why we need the Lord's and here it says, it's, it's a guardianship. It says that, that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So our hearts, our minds are guarded by Christ. That's the guardianship that God gives us. Remember that safety, as much as we want to be safe in all that we do, work, health and safety and all of that, Remember that safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in in the presence of God. That's what ultimate safety is. So how can we be peacemakers? We are peacemakers when we make God's peace available to the world around us. This is what we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18. All, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of, re, of reconciliation. Another word for reconciliation is peacemaking. This means that God has given every one of us the task, the mission, the ministry of reconciliation, of making peace, of going out there and declaring the peace to those who give their lives to Christ between God and man. That is the ultimate conflict. That is the ultimate war. 
That is why Jesus came. Some issues to consider. First of all, let's look at an ethical question. I liked the subject of ethics when I was at, uh, at Morling. I don't know if Jeff enjoyed it as much as, as I did. Uh, ethical questions is basically when you're, when you're caught in a dilemma. What would you do as a Christian in, with such a situation? And specifically with regards to peace and conflict and all of that, I'll give you one example. German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his classical book, The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote this and I quote, The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. And to that end, they renounce all violence and tumult. End of quote. He wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship, in 1937. Just think about historically where that is. Two years later, that's already the rise of the Third Reich and all of that, and war happened when Germany invaded Poland in 1939. He wrote this book in 1937. Yet in 1944, already five years into the war, he was arrested for plotting the assassination of Hitler. He was hanged just 11 days before the Allied forces entered Berlin. The question remains, if you were Dietrich Bonhoeffer, seeing all the horrors and everything, the Holocaust and everything that... Hitler did, would you have joined Dietrich Bonhoeffer in seeking to assassinate Hitler? Ethical question, that's why I'm asking. Do we have issues with Christians joining the army, bearing arms? Yes, we have volunteer army soldiers nowadays. What will happen like it did some of you who are standing here when conscription happens and your name is called? Not called up yonder, it might be when you're out there, but um, when you call to serve your country, will you bear arms or will you be like that, uh, that movie that was out there recently with the Seventh-day Adventist American soldier who who went to war without bearing arms and he rescued, he was a medic, rescued all these people. Which stance will you take? If none of the soldiers carry weapons, well that, anyway, it's okay when you depend on somebody else to do the firing for you because of your stance. What will happen to our policemen if they don't carry guns and you walk into a domestic situation? We don't like it, but somebody has to bear arms. A truth question. What happens when faced with an important matter of truth and justice and because you speak up and make a stand, it might alienate and cause dissension and division? When you do that, have you ceased to be a peacemaker? When you put a, a declaration on Facebook, on social media, 
declaring that you make a stance against same-sex marriage, against another injustice, whatever it is. And it just, you know, these things have a habit of spreading about. Have you ceased to be a peacemaker because you declared your position? Let's recall the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'll repeat it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, just reinforcing the point, if it is possible, live at peace with everybody. This means that there will be times, what Paul is saying behind all of that, you try as hard as you, as you can. You make all the sacrifices possible. But, but there will be times that standing for the truth will make it impossible to compromise. I like what Matthew Henry once said. He said, and I quote, Peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. End of quote. So we don't compromise the truth for the sake of peace. A relational question. So we've covered an ethical question, a truth question, a relational question. Why is it that after some people become Christians, and Jeff was pointing about this in India and Pakistan and other places, they become Christians, they give their life to Christ and suddenly they're disowned by their family. All hell breaks loose because of their commitment to Christ. And they still continue in their commitment. They disowned and shunned. Why is it that after some people become Christians that they experience strife? Especially when the rest of the family are not Christians. Maybe that was your experience as well. Jesus told us this. He warned us about this in Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 to 36 with our most intense relationships, which will be our our earthly families. He said this in verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's not difficult. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus prophesied exactly what would happen. How true that is. And we don't like to quote passages like this, but it's, it's real. It's real. Particularly when your faith is your identity or who you are. So often in the West, your faith, your belief is something that you try and and hide and it's just an addendum or an appendix, something that you just add on to the rest of your life. But in many other parts of the world, it's everything changes. And even though we must love peace and work for peace, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. No matter how much strife this might lead to. And there are countless testimonies of brothers and sisters who have had to face this. It is very humbling 
sometimes talking and hearing the stories of some of our brothers and sisters, what they had to go through, even after they, they've been exiled in Australia, what they had to go through. Very humbling. Now, God sent his son to be our peace. The night Jesus was born, angels appeared to shepherds singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Luke 2.14 This Jesus, born in a stable, placed in a manger, is that hope for peace. Jesus was born to be the mediator between God and the world, bringing reconciliation, forgiveness. Jesus would be peace because he would make peace between God and mankind to those on whom his favour rests. Yes, all of mankind, but only to those who submit to Christ, on whom his favour rests. So he did not do this by being a good example of tolerance and love, but by obeying God perfectly, dying for the sake of people who hated him. God came, took on humanity in a sinful world to restore what had been lost by living a sinless life, peace with God. Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. He is our peace. So Jesus' first coming brings division for this earth because while sin, death and the devil continue to exist, there will continue to be battle between those who reject Christ and those who love Christ. The temperature in our land is rising. I'm not talking about the weather, I'm talking about the spiritual weather, the spiritual climate. Yes, I believe in that climate change, not the other one. Isaiah talks about about this and uh, we're going to look at this verse. But peace is coming. Last week we spoke about the second coming of our Lord. Peace is coming. Jesus told his disciples that he would return one day and bring true and lasting peace for his people for the new heavens and a new earth. Oh, how we await that day. Christ is the Prince of Peace who, when he comes a second time, will bring final peace and rest between the world and God by conquering all that, all of God's enemies and bringing home all his chosen people. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Only then there will be no more wars, no more tears, no more divisions, for all will be united together by Christ, no longer separated from him, but dwelling forever in his presence. Today, today we, we see faint glimmerings of this peace when people from around the world gather together to worship the sun, just like as we have been doing. 
to listen to his word as we are doing. We have peace when we have Christ and all who believe in him have him. Just uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, is at this moment having a crusade in Hanoi in Vietnam. Think about what happened in Vietnam like 30, 40, 50 years ago. There, were no, there was no freedom, you couldn't preach and everything else and yet tens of thousands of people fill the stadium of buses waiting outside and all that and people coming to give their life to Christ in northern Vietnam opening their hearts wanting peace with God. Vietnam. The country is opening up. Ted and Jim are, they've made a travel to the north part of, of Myanmar because there is now a freedom to, to go to places that was never open before and suddenly it's there. It's opening up because they want to, they're hungry for the gospel and they get there and they find that there are Christians separated and, and they want to hear it because they're like sponges. They want to hear the truth. They want to hear the word of God. And just as the, as the freedoms are, are starting to spread on some of these countries in the West, it seems to be, the curtains seem to be slowly closing as freedoms are slowly being taken from us. No matter what happens in Australia in the future, we can live in lights, in the light of the great peace that Jesus brought us. How do we experience the peace in the midst of conflict? Well, perhaps we need to talk to some of our brothers and sisters from persecuted countries and what they did. How did they cope? Read some of the great biographies. Talk to some missionaries. No, no, we're not there yet. I'm not... I'm not trying to scare everybody but it is my job to get you ready get you ready ready to to love our enemies in a way that unless God is with us we will not be able to do to pray for them to forgive them even if we have peace with God we will have peace and comfort in the midst of the conflict of this world because we know that the Prince of Peace lives and rules our hearts. That is what the message of Christmas, that is what the prophecy of Isaiah, that is what the angels declared. If God's favour rests on you, you are a peacemaker. May he rule our hearts. Amen.